This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Good afternoon, church. Uh, As Brady mentioned, I am Joel. I'm the youth pastor here at Conduit and been serving here for five going on six years. And today's kind of been this crazy moment for me. I'm kind of living in this dream a little bit. Uh, Brady, who actually did announcements today, uh, he graduated from our student ministry four, three, four years ago, um, and now is on staff serving alongside of us, which is kind of this this crazy thing that's happened. Um, And I have a picture of Brady actually doing his first baptism at camp. Um, And this was Hands down, my favorite moment. Um, so you can't see it, but the hotel that the, this pool that we're in is facing uh, the hotel where Brady is facing is actually the hotel room that uh, Brady slept in his senior year of camp, the first time we ever went. Okay, and so we had a lot of conversations that year um, where Brady was kind of facing this fork in the road in his life. And he was deciding do I choose to build my life on Jesus and follow him? Or do I choose to go my own way? And Brady's life didn't change immediately after that, after more conversations and a lot more conversations with your mentor, uh, James. Uh, It wasn't but six months later where he got baptized. And now for this moment, uh, this past week at camp for Brady to baptize and do what we've taught him and showed him. I mean, this this is the gospel. This is the gospel. This is the power of the gospel. Um, and so it's just an incredible week. That video you just watched is literally just a small glimpse into what 110, as Eric said, 110 of us got to experience last week. And so if you're a parent in this room and you sit in your student with us, I want to say thank you. That's no small ask. Um, it is a crazy week. But to say it shortly, God moved. 15 baptisms um, happened this past week at camp. We had students for the first time commit their life to Jesus. We had students who don't have community and friends, uh, find friends. We had people confess things, drama restored, um, countless conversations on what it means to build our life on Jesus, the firm foundation. And what I'm learned personally as the leader of this trip um, was something pretty simple, but it kind of rocked me to the core was the fact that, you know, the world we live in, the culture, the the enemy is always trying to uh, isolate our teenagers. They're always trying to pull them away from these moments and these uh, moments in their lives and these relationships in their lives that matter. But God, the God we serve is inviting them into a life that matters. And so that's kind of been my takeaway. And camp is a special place in my heart. I grew up going to camp. My wife grew up going to camp. Um, And it's a special place, but it's also, uh, just to be honest with you, a borderline juvenile detention center. Okay. Uh, I remember three years ago, we went to this camp that will remain unnamed. We will never be attending ever again. Okay. Uh, It was pretty bad. But here's my thing is I like adrenaline. I like craziness and I like big slides. Does anyone here like big slides? Okay, amen. You are my people, okay? You are my kind of person. And so I was researching. We had been to Big Stuff before, which is the video you just watched. I was with Brady, and then I was researching new camps, like to change it up, you know, give us a new sense. So I typed in this camp, and on the opening website, like the page, on the front page of the website was this massive five-story water slide. And I was like, immediately, yes, sold. 
I probably should research the preachers, but it's okay. That slide is worth it. Okay. Um, and they had all the water amenities, right? The blob, the water slide, the rope swing. Uh, they had this giant inflatable iceberg with a slide attached. It was incredible. Well, nowhere on the website did it say that the water amenities actually cost extra money. And so we show up and we didn't plan ahead. And so our teens had to endure a full five days of camp in 105 Five heat index with no reprieve in the water. Okay. So, you know, I had the genius idea to be a kind youth pastor and to, you know, it's kind of my fault anyways. So I was going to rent the lake out for us to enjoy, right? The last day of camp, I made this decision. I paid the price um, and we got an hour of full priority access to the lake, right? It was fantastic. It was the best moment. It was the hour right before curfew. So our time, we're all flying down the slide. We're having a good time. Our time ends. The lifeguard and the counselor there tell us, you know, we got to pack up and go. It's curfew. So we do just that. Except I tell our teenagers, just go on ahead of us. Like, you guys just go. Leave your stuff. We have a golf cart. We'll just load all your stuff into the golf cart and bring it to you. We'll sort it out when we get to the dorms, right? And so we send the teens off. My wife and I and a couple of other leaders that were with us are loading the golf cart. Um, so we do that. We load the golf cart, take it back to the dorm, drop it off. And we didn't have enough space to get all of it. So we had to go back and make a second trip. A trip. And so we're driving back and we're driving back down this hill with our headlights on. And all I see are these two neon yellow Crocs running down the hill. And I was like, hmm, that's kind of strange. I swear I sent all my students back to the dorm. Well, well, he runs behind this tower, the water slide. So I pull around and sure enough, it's one of our students. And his response is, oh, thank God, it's just you. I thought I was caught. And I was like, excuse me, <laughs> you are caught. Like, I, I'm the youth pastor. I don't know what you think in this moment. Well, before I could respond to him, I looked down to this pile of stuff that I had just transported. And it's as if Jesus broke bread with shoes. It had multiplied. Okay, and I'm like, there's more stuff. How'd that happen? What, what is going on? Am I in some sort of dream, inception dream? And uh, in that moment, I'm looking down, I'm about to yell at these stu- this student and then four girls just like <sighs> come flying out of the water trying to hold their breath to outlast me <laughs> so they don't get caught. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm yelling, I begin to yell at them. Then as soon as I begin to open my mouth, I hear two of these girls scream like banshees come flying down the slide. Okay, so, so loud that the lifeguard and the counselor who had left and gone to bed heard them and they come back and begin to yell. So yet this 18 year old girl that's a lifeguard is yelling at me as I'm yelling at the student and then to my horror, I look out into the middle of the lake on this giant and beautiful inflatable iceberg and there is Savannah Coon standing at the top of this thing. If you don't know who Savannah Coon is, she's Jason Coon, who's our worship leader's daughter. And she is standing on top of this iceberg and all I see is this Spartan kick, boom. So she goes flying down the slide into the water and doing so, the iceberg begins to move out of the way and all you see is 10, 20, 30 heads bobbing in the water. And I'm like, 
oh, I lost control of them. This is not good. So I'm panic mode. This lifeguard is freaking out. She's telling me we're going to get kicked out of this camp. And I'm like, oh no, praise God. It's just the last day. So we're going home anyways. Um, and so I'm yelling and it's as if like when they're getting out of the water, they're trying to give me a fist bump as if I approved their delinquency in this moment. And I'm like, bored. at that point, I'm trying not to laugh at them because it was so bad. Um, and I was panicking. Okay, I was like, man, okay, this is the worst experience. They're gonna hate us. They're gonna email mo at conduitchurch.com. It's gonna be a horrible thing. And I'm like on the bus ride home, just panic mode. And we get back to the church and I have to go straight to Darren and to Mo and tell them the story of why they hate us. And I'll never forget what Darren told me in that moment. He goes, hey, Joel, the more you are in ministry, the longer you're in ministry, the more your ministry begins to look like you. And I was like, oh, Darren. Of course I would have snuck out into the lake. That's absolutely true. You got me. Um, so camp is an incredible experience for us. Uh, it's a lot of fun, but there's also a lot of meaningful moments at camp. One time we had two students join us for summer camp uh, who just didn't care about God. They just borderline agnostic at best. Um, and they came with us because their friends had invited them. And after that invite, those two students who invited them came and had a conversation with me like, hey, this is, they're coming, but they just don't care about God. And so I went into prep mode. I love apologetics. I love debates. And so my, my wife knows this. I've watched just about every Ask Cliff, uh, fantastic YouTube page, um, Ask Cliff video there is. He's been debating on university campus for 40 years. I've watched every video he's ever put out. Um, that's how much I love apologetics. And so I was brushing up. I was like, Lord, I'm going to logically and theologically destroy these kids. <laughs> They're going to learn that my logic and my experience of life is in their experience, their illogical conclusions are going to get dismantled. It's going to be this epic moment where they're like, yeah, you're right. And I'm like, I know I'm right. They give their life to God in that moment. Boom, saved. Baptize them. Yeah, let's go. Um, <laughs> uh, didn't happen. Camp has obviously come and went. Um, but we get to the second small group session and I was asking the Lord for this opportunity to kind of like poke the dragon, you know, get uh, that moment to happen, get them to buckle up and ask the hard question. And it was as if the Lord told me in that moment, he's like, hey, Joel, I actually want you to put the gloves down and listen. I was like, okay, I hear you. And so the next couple of small groups, I just spent getting to know them, getting to know their story and who they are. Um, but I, over the, the next couple of sessions, I get frustrated. I'm like, God, I, I'm prepared for this moment. I'm ready for this moment. I'm equipped. I am, put me in. I want this conversation. I'm going to prove you in this moment. And the, and the Lord, the, that opportunity never presented itself. And so we get to the last day of this camp and I'm like, you know what? Maybe it's just because they just don't feel comfortable in the small group. They don't want to sabotage or take away from these moments. And so I decide I'm going to pull them aside and just have a conversation just privately, me and those two students. And so I do just that. And as I grab them and pull them aside to have this conversation with them, um, it was again, the Lord tapped me on the shoulder and goes, hey, Joel, uh, in this moment, it's not about proving me. It's about living as a reflection of me. And I was like, come on, Holy Spirit. Don't do this to me. But I listened. And so all I said to them in this moment was like, hey guys, listen, I just want you to know I'm proud of you. 
I'm thankful that you guys chose to come spend a week with us. I know this worship thing and this God thing and us, you know, lifting our hands and praising Jesus, like that can seem weird on the outside looking in, but I just am thankful that you came and spent a week with us. And I want you to know as an adult who cares about you, like after camp ends, I want to still be in your life. I want to still have conversation. And so if you ever have a moment where you just want to, you know, talk or ask a question or, you know, just need advice on anything, just reach out. I'm here for you. And I, I want you to know I love you. And as soon as I finished that, one of the kids' heads just dropped. And he looks up a few seconds later and he tells me, he goes, hey, Joel, I just, I need you to know that you and the teens that you lead, the leaders that you lead are the first Christians in my life that have ever cared more about me as a person than why I believe what I believe. And that hit me. That hit me right in the heart because the Lord showed me in that conversation that Joel, you are just like Peter. As soon as the opposition comes, you pull out the sword, you cut off the ear and you're so quick to fight for me, but you don't even realize that fight in you is actually causing them to look at the disagreements rather than for them to look at the crucifixion of what I had to suffer because of them. And so I asked myself the hard question, like, do I share, is how I share truth with people backwards? Have I lost sight of the fact that the people that sit across from me, the people across from the internet from me, the people in my living room, the people in my hotel room at camp, all these people are people that need Jesus and need the love of Jesus. And what that teen broke, said broke my heart, that we were the first Christians, the first people in his 18 years of living that have expressed a care in his life and his story rather than the reason why he believes what he believes. So the question I have for us this morning to wrestle through is this, is do people hear your contention or do they see your crucifixion? Do people hear your contention, your disagreement with them or do they see your crucifixion? If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter four. This is where we're gonna spend most of our time this morning, uh, but we're gonna be hopping around a little bit. For sake of time, this is your home base. Uh, anything else that is in the scriptures will be on the screen behind me. Uh, but as you're turning there, I wanna give us some context to understand what's happening. So Ephesians is written by a guy named Paul. Uh, pretty obvious. He wrote two thirds of the New Testament, but he's writing this from uh, the Roman imprisonment, and he was in prison between the year of 60 and 62-ish AD as he's writing this letter. And it's important to know that Ephesus is this large, multi-ethnic center of trade and commerce and culture in the Greco-Roman Empire. And there's actually only two cities in the empire that exceeded uh, Ephesus in population. It was Rome, which had approximately 1 million people living in the city of Rome. And then Alexandria, which had approximately 600,000 people living there. And then third was Ephesus, which had a quarter of a million, 250,000 people called Ephesus home. And so at this significant Jewish community, at a significant uh, Greek and Roman community and other uh, cultures in the Mediterranean, that Ephesus was actually the capital of the, providen- or the Asian providence of the empire. And so when we think about Ephesus, we don't think dirt road, a place to park your camel and sleep at night as you're on your way. This is an incredible architectural and infrastructure, bustling seaport type of city. It's as if you took Chattanooga and added 100,000 people to it. 
It's a large city and a large commercial cosmopolitan city is closer to the mark than the small town. And its culture is pluralistic in every way you can imagine. Many ethnic cultures and, and religious backgrounds and cultural backgrounds are represented, and it was all in the name of pluralism. It was entrenched and embraced in this culture that moral beliefs and religious beliefs are, are just diverse in every way possible. And it's all maintained under the two things that you've probably heard in our modern context, tolerance and syncretism. And that anyone that would claim that they have the truth, the God, or the right religion was actually bound to face persecution and rejection from their culture. And so we try to imagine this in our own culture because the only difference between Ephesus and our culture is the fact that if you held to an Orthodox Christian view and you shared that view in any overt way, you had a chance to be killed by your neighbor and justfully so. And so that is the only difference between our culture and theirs. And so we try to immerse ourselves because we are, we're getting close. Tolerance and syncretism, we're already there. And we try to immerse ourselves and ask ourselves the question is, how, as, how would I, as a believer, as a person who have put and built my life on Jesus, how am I going to interact with believers and unbelievers? How am I going to operate in a culture that has turned their back on the ultimate truth? And so Paul, what he has done is he's set out to encourage God's people in face of that cultural reality. Have you found Ephesians 4 yet? Let's go. It should be on the screen behind me. It is. Let's go. We're here. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 says this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all, through all and in all. That's God's word. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we just center our life on you. We center our hearts on you, Lord. We ask that you speak to us uh, in this similar context of Ephesus, that we as Christians, even though this may be a corrective word for some of us, that we would just be encouraged to chase after and to walk worthy. Uh, I pray over the parents in this room that they would model and, and always go back to the fact of like surrendering and imitating Christ as they teach and lead their, their kids, their teens, their young adults, Lord. And we just thank you and praise you for the ability to gather in freedom um, that we take this for granted often. Help us to just focus in on the fact that we do have freedom here and, and not take that for granted. Um, and it's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. So it's important to know, uh, so if you look at the entire book of Ephesians, there's six chapters, right? Uh, in Ephesians 4 verse 1 is really the door hinge, the, the hinge to the entire thing. And Paul, in the first three chapters, he has set out to tell the believer what they have received as a free gift. He says, you've been given a spiritual blessing. You've been called into this life that you, who, uh, all you had to do was receive that gift. And you have this blessing that is immeasurable and even uh, you can't even under, fully understand it yet. And then in chapter two, he tells us our story. 
That while we were dead in our trespasses and sin, but God, being rich in mercy, he loved us and showed us love by restoring and renewing our life through the blood of Christ. And then in chapter three, he tells the, the believer that because of this love, because of this free gift, you have been rooted and established in love, that there is a foundation in the blood of Christ that can't shake you and can't take you away, and that there is a love eternal that surpasses even the love of our, our physical relationships. And then he also mentions this thing that the Lord, God, the Holy Spirit has revealed the mystery to him to preach the gospel to both uh, Jews and Gentiles alike. And so Paul, in the first three chapters, he goes from your call, your past, your story, excuse me, the things that you have received by doing nothing, all these blessings you have inherited to, okay, now that you know these things, how are you going to live it out? How are you going to walk worthy? And that's exactly what it tells us to do, to walk worthy of the call. Well, he gives us some descriptors of how to do so. Pretty straightforward. He says, be humble and gentle. Well, the word humble is something that we all know. Um, It's actually, in the original language, it speaks of having one moral littleness, which is a little bit confusing when you think about it because, you know, as Christians, we have the moral absolute. We, that's what we have is the moral high ground on everybody, right? And so what Paul is actually going after though is here's the problem when we have the moral absolute. We have the truth that transcends all understanding. We have the truth that we have been rooted and established in. But here's the problem is when you get high and mighty, it's an arrogant thing nine times out of 10 because of our heart and our sin. And so Paul says, no, you aren't high and mighty. You're actually to be a lowly servant and take the moral low ground. It's a little twist on it. And then he also goes into this word, be gentle. Gentle in the the original language is another interchangeable word for meek. And Jesus himself in Matthew chapter five, he tells us the meek shall inherit the earth. This has always been a weird picture for me because whenever I think of the word meek, I think of this like, you know, do you guys remember those inflatable punching bags that you like blew up and you could punch it, fall over and you kind of just slap back right back up? That's my word picture for the word meek. And I was like, man, Jesus, you told us the inflatable punching bag is going to conquer this earth and we're somehow gonna be in this weird uh, monk monastery where we all shave our heads, never engage in conflict. Um, That's not meekness. Uh, Meekness is actually speaking of this controlled strength that in the face of the opposition, the conflict, the intolerance, the persecution, which is coming your way as a believer, in the face of that, you peel back and have a strength and a demeanor about you where you put your faith and your trust in everything and the conflict in the hand of God. That you have a strength that it passes through that and puts it into the will of the Father. That's meekness. And meekness in the, uh, the original language is always paired with the words like humility and with wisdom. But it's also important to know that meekness is about seeking the interest of others, but we'd often say seek the interest of others in spite the interest of yourself. That's not accurate. It's actually not in spite of your interest. It's at the expense of your own interests. You know, we just got back from camp as we told you probably four times now. Um, 
And there was this guy that preached, and his name was Reed Moore, fantastic uh, pastor. And he, was t- he preached this sermon. We were learning about what it meant to build our life on Jesus. And he was talking about community. And he was talking about how in, you know, in teenage culture and the culture around us and the world around us is all about climbing the proverbial ladder the occupational ladder where you just want to get a little bit higher. We want to get a little bit more money. We want to accomplish one more thing. We want to do one more marathon. We want to, you know, keep climbing to get to that point where in that plateau or that place in your life where it's perfect. You have the money you need. You have the vision. You have the dream is fulfilled. All of those things that our world is always just, it doesn't matter if you step on someone, climb that ladder, get a little bit higher, get a better view. And he said, to be Christian is not just to get off the ladder, it's to become the ladder. That we would serve and see other people's interests, not in spite of our own, but at the expense of our own. And see, he says to be humble, to be gentle, to be patient, bearing in love together. These are speaking of the Christian characteristics. And he's telling this of a church that is facing death if they share their faith in any way possible. But Ephesus, like our culture, there is no truth except your truth. And I fear most of us Christians have it backwards where we should beat people to death on political issues and cultural issues and theological issues in order to speak truth. Instead of us, you know, give the three points in a poem, the 18 articles, the 1,000 YouTube videos, why aren't we bearing with love? Why aren't we engaging with patience and humility and grace to that person? And when we hear their viewpoint, not judge them for it and say, no, here's where you're wrong. Here's this article of why you're wrong. Here's the issue that you are looking at. And instead of doing that, why aren't we giving them grace? And instead of us telling them our contention, we show them our crucifixion. I have this conversation with parents all of the time, too many times, where the student will come up to me and be like, man, my parents have taught me everything. Everything I need to know about political issues like abortion and gay rights and, or sorry, gay marriages uh, and, and sex and, you know, who I should marry and how to get into college and how to work hard and accomplish the things in, in the world's eyes that would be viewed as successful. My parents have taught me everything I know, need to know about that. But they've taught me little to nothing on what it means to love like Jesus has loved. That was only the first two service parents, not you guys. And I want you to hear me correctly, though, in this, because so Paul is in prison, right? Paul is in prison as he's writing this, and he's in prison for starting a riot in the temple, okay? So Paul started a riot by preaching the gospel in the temple. Paul spoke truth. So I'm not saying as Christians that we are silent, okay? Pharaoh, or sorry, Moses wasn't silent when he went up to Pharaoh and told him to let my people go. Esther was not silent when she went to the king and told him about Haman's plan to annihilate and kill all the Jews. So as Christians, we're not silent. We're not docile monks that never speak truth. But what I am saying is if you are more concerned about your points getting across and their political issue and your social issue and all those things being heard rather than the kingdom issue of where that person's soul is going to spend eternity, that's the problem. I love when Darren speaks on political issues. I think more pastors in our country need to take a stand for holiness. But I know Darren. And Darren cares far more about the soul of the person he is arguing and debating with than he does the actual debate he's, he's having. 
That's what Paul is urging us to walk in. Paul spoke truth, but not to win, but to show that person the truth of the gospel, that they, are, they have been uh, called by God to, to surrender their life to him. And here's the truth for you. As much as you and I hate cancel culture and what is happening in our society, I think we Christians have yet to put our money where our mouth is and not just speak for truth, but also walk in the truth. LifeWay Research did a, a study on this, um, and there's a slide for it. That, uh, they did a study on why students after graduating high school are leaving the church in droves. Here's a number for you. 66% of people from the ages of 18 to 22 are leaving the church. 66%. Here are the top five reasons. 34% is because they moved away to college. Just lost interest. The next three should punch you right in the gut. 32% is because church members seem judgmental or hypocritical. 32 per, or sorry, 29% because they don't feel connected to the rest of the body. 25% is because they don't agree on political or social issues that the church holds to. And 24% is because of work responsibilities. Listen, three out of the five, top five, is about how the body interacts within these four walls. We are losing the younger generation in droves. And uh, there's a, something I want to share with you. The truth that I want to share with you is what one generation views as optional, the next generation is going to view as unnecessary. I'll give you an example, not that I much care for it, is college. Most people that are the generation before me, college was absolutely necessary. My generation, it's been optional. The next generation is going to view it as unnecessary. And it's the same thing is true with church. When your generation thinks, or when one generation thinks it's optional and they go, you know what, maybe I could go to the lake this Sunday instead of spend time with my church and community. Maybe, you know, it's rainy outside. It's kind of a gross day. You know, let's just stay home and not go out. When you view it as optional, I guarantee you the next generation is going to view it as unnecessary. And Paul here is urging us not to talk worthy of the gospel, not to stand worthy of the call, but to walk worthy. The Greek word is peripateo, which translates to our word walk, but that's not a really good understanding of it because it actually really means to make one's way, to make progress, to make due use of the opportunities. In Hebrew, it translates how we regulate our life. And so how do we navigate contention and conflict and persecution and how do we conduct a life that is worthy of this, this call is we are humble, we are gentle, we are patient, we bear with each other in love. That's how we navigate it. But it's also how we best reflect Christ in the face of a divisive, truth-hating, and bigoted culture. And so instead of people hearing your contention, let's show them our crucifixion. There's this amazing interaction um, in the, the gospel of Matthew where Jesus uh, in Matthew chapter 16 is having an interaction with his disciples and he begins to predict his death and resurrection. And so he's telling his disciples about this. And this is one of my favorite. And it's a very famous passage where after the fact, Peter pulls Jesus aside. And it's so funny that to me that he does this. Peter uh, pulls Jesus aside. The Bible tells us that Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. He began to rebuke him. It's a famous passage where Jesus then looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. But here's what he says after that. And I think this is a descriptor to our modern culture and our modern church. He says, you are more concerned with the things that are of the earth than the things that are of heaven. 
And Jesus, after prophesying this and telling, having this conversation with, Jesus, uh, with Peter, the next thing he tells his disciples to do is to take up their cross and die to themselves. That if you want to be a follower of me, then you're going to lay down your life. You're going to surrender your life and then you will gain eternity. And if you gain your life, then you're going to lose eternity. And then Paul here in Ephesians chapter four, he says that Jesus, what does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And this is where we'll end and land. Your and I model as Christian is to descend. You know, Paul is quoting this passage uh, in Psalm. And it's David returning from battle and doing so, he has taken many captives with him. And what they would do after battle is they would line up the gifts of people in order from, you know, most important to least important behind the person that is bringing those gifts home. And says he has a captive army behind him to give to his people. And how you and I love the world around us as we show them our sacrifice. And here's what happened. That the God of the universe will give you more gifts and more immeasurable gifts than we can ever even wrap our minds around. Because here's the truth is that God who descended also has already ascended. He has already gotten the victory in our life. And so he is going to take captives with him and give you gifts that you can't even comprehend because you, Christian, you are not fighting for victory. You are fighting from it. He's already won. And all you have to do is go out into this world, into the culture that hates God, hates truth, and is going to persecute you. And you do so by laying down your life and surrendering in humility and be gentle and show them that you love them by, you know, becoming the latter, laying down your life for the people around you. And then we get back to Peter. Peter didn't fully understand this. And when Jesus is about to get arrested, what does he do, right? We talked about it. He cuts off the dude's ear. He was so zealous for God, and that's a good thing. But he didn't fully, he was going to lay down his life in war, but he didn't understand how he actually was going to lay down his life. Because what happens in Peter's life is after receiving the Holy Spirit, he then is preaching the gospel to the world and to the Jews. And what happens? He gets arrested. And when he gets arrested, then he's sentenced to death in crucifixion. He didn't understand yet when the garden, he would have to lay his life down for the sake of the gospel. And so the question again, I have to ask us as a church this morning is how are you going to walk in a culture that has turned their back on truth? Are you going to show them your disagreements, your articles, your debates, your why you disagree with them, all the things you have learned on YouTube? Or are you going to lay down your life? Are you going to... Sh- Instead of, you know, commenting on that dumb Facebook thread, maybe shoot him a DM instead and be like, hey, like, I would love to grab dinner with you. I'd love for you guys to come over and I would love to engage in a relationship with you. Are we going to lay our life down in a way that we descend and God ultimately has already ascended and he's going to get the glory and he's going to get the praise of our life as we do it? Let's pray this morning or this evening. Uh, Lord, we just lift you up. I pray that as we go out uh, this evening and to this week, uh, Lord, that we would just be a people that are marked by humility, by patience, by meekness, that we would lay down our life 
that we would fight from victory and not for it. And that we would realize the people across from the internet, across from the hall, across from the table, across from the, you know, the living room chair in our own homes, Lord, that those people are sinners in need of a savior just as much as we are. That we bear with each other in love. And that in, in the face of a cultural intolerance and, and culture, the culture that hates absolute truth and hates you, God, that we wouldn't react, but we would just praise and seek after you. So bless us as we go. Bless these people as you go. Encourage their hearts, Lord. And we just thank you and praise you in all that you have given us. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Church, you are dismissed.